Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. So good. So, look, this morning, I just want to continue. This is our last uh, of the series of salvation that we've been working our way through. And across this nation, we're seeing the church in all its different forms and all its different denominations come together and start in prayer to believe God for a new revival across this nation. And it's, it's been starting in pockets. Those pockets have been coming together. Movements of churches have been joining together, saying it's time. And then our, others outside of church have even begun and said, let's come together and form movements of prayer that start to believe God for what could possibly take place in our nation, how God's Spirit one more time could move through this land touching the lives of people. You know, we saw a picture of this back in 1959 at the Billy Graham crusade. We saw what it might look like as the Spirit of God would capture people's hearts and people's hearts would turn again back to God in a fresh and real way. There were 114 meetings that were held over 106 days in 10 cities across Australia and New Zealand. 10 million people attended the Crusades over this time. Actually, sorry, 3 million people gave their hearts to Jesus in the Crusades over that time. Over 400 remote uh, places around in regional Australia tuned in via radio to hear the message that Billy was preaching. And 147,000 people gave their lives to Christ. It was a massive impact on our society, so much so that the Bureau of Statistics recorded these stats. There was a 10% reduction in alcohol consumption between 1960 and 1962. The Australian crime statistics showed a brief halt in the increase of crime between 60 and 62, which was amazing because the rate had doubled from 1920 to 19. And from 1950 to 1959, it had doubled again. So in that time, it actually halted uh, due to that move of God. Businesses reported an epidemic of repayments of bad debts. Councillors at the Crusades reported burglars handling in the tools of their trade when they were coming forward. There was even a revolver handed in. Someone said, look, I was going to do someone in with this. Would you please take it off me before I do something silly? Um, The Sydney District Court Magistrate reported a 50% drop in alcohol-related crime. More than half of Melbourne Bible Institute's 160 students in 1959 started there because of that 1959 campaign. At the Crusades, sales of Bibles trebled. An additional 140,000 copies of the Gospel of John were given away. It was just a phenomenal impact, not just in the Crusades themselves, but in the society as people went out and lived their lives. Can I just see a show of hands? If you came to faith or were influenced in some way through the 1959 Crusade, can I just see your hand for a minute? I probably should have done that at eight. I reckon I would have got, yeah, there's hands all over the place. Absolutely. So many of us would count our faith as a second generation believer because the person that led me to Jesus got saved in 1959. So uh, I feel like I'm a second-generation crusader uh, as a result of that. Who knows where my life would be had that man not given his heart to Jesus. I believe that God is calling us as a church, not just Gateway Baptist Church, 
but his church around this nation to intercede in preparation for the move of the Spirit of God one last time through our nation. But intercession is a very different kind of prayer. Intercession means to stand in the place of another. To stand in the place of another. It's moving from prayers about them out there to standing in the shoes of others and praying about their burdens as if they were our own. Through intercession, God reveals to us the burdens of others. He allows us to feel the burdens of others. And then he reveals his heart for those people. We're not praying about them. We're actually entering into their story by faith. Our nation needs a fresh fire of this type of intercessory prayer to blaze across it. It's time for the church to start to realize the power that's in its hands. We as a church have been called to mightily affect the society that we're in. And we are holding the tools in our hand of power to do something about that. Think about our nation for a minute. We're a nation of great diversity. Many different nations. We're, at the moment, there's much commentary about the, what's happening in our immigration borders and what's taking place to our nation as different people from different nations come to this place seeking all kinds of different uh, refuge or a place to live, or etc. And I don't want to enter into the debate so much about the whys and wherefores, but could I ask you this morning to enter into it with the eyes of the Spirit for a minute? Just think about what God might be doing behind the scenes. Could you imagine if in the spirit right now, as these nations are gathering here, if the spirit of God begins to blow through this nation and people come to faith, and those people who come to faith talk to their families and those families back to their countries of origin start to speak again about what God is doing and how the real God of the Bible, the God of power, the God of revelation, who reveals himself to them, comes to life inside them. Could you imagine what would happen around the globe if in this nation we saw people come to Jesus? You've got to think of it as the ripple effect of what would happen as God's Spirit begins to move. You see, unity is not possible without diversity. If we don't have diversity, then all we have is uniformity. I don't think God is calling us to a nation of uniformity. But he is calling us to be a nation unified in the Spirit. But it's only the Spirit of God that can take nations that are coming together in this country and fuse us together with one common voice. And that common voice would be Jesus, our Savior. Unity is only possible because the Spirit of God helps us find the selflessness we need to live for the other. The Spirit of God helps us to crucify self-interest and then live for the purposes of God that he puts in our heart. And I think we're facing a choice in the church to either separate ourselves from the problems and issues of our nation or actually enter the arena. Actually walk into the arena in the power and the love of the Spirit of God and make a difference. Not to do it necessarily just to lobby in political power and force, although I believe that will happen and people will do that. But God is not calling us to think according to our own minds only. He's calling us to be a people of prayer that would say, God, will you change the nation? Will you come and heal our land? God, will you restore this nation 
to what you always wanted it to be. The church of Jesus Christ. Listen carefully this morning. What I'm trying to say about prayer is this. It's very different to pray about something compared to interceding for something. Praying about something says, God, help them. Move on them. Work with them. God, do something about that. God, protect us. Look after us. Keep us safe as that happens. It's them and it's us. But intercession is, is different. It's, the God, it's God's voice crying out inside us as the abused wife, as the addict, addicted drug addict, as the lonely and depressed single mum, as the suicidal businessman, whatever it is, I don't know what it is, but as that person, we feel the pain. God causes us to hear the cries that their heart is crying and says, come, listen to what I'm hearing. Now, start to pray for that. Pray for that. Don't see the outside of what you think they're saying or what you think they believe in or what you think's going on or the threat that you believe humanly through your mind you're assessing. Hear the heart of the Spirit and pray. Pray for something deeper. Pray for something eternal. Pray for something that will never fail. The intercessor cries out of the pain that they feel to a God they know is listening. See, the intercessor stands in the gap, in the shoes of the other, and cries out and says, God, would you come? Here is the need that you're hearing. Father, would you come and meet this need? The intercessor brings together the parties by faith. God is waiting for our hearts to be broken by what breaks his heart so that we'll take action according to his will. And we see the Bible's full of these examples where there was radical action that took place that made no sense to the people of God that were taking it. In the story of Moses, we've been watching Moses, how he's just kind of gone from miracle to miracle. He stands in this kind of cul-de-sac with the children of Israel. They're surrounded by land. They've got the Red Sea on that side. On the other side, they've got this marauding army of Egyptians coming at them. And if, if I was there, I'd be saying, what have we got? Let's break some broomsticks. Let's, let's get together some, something to fight with because we're going to have to stand our ground. This is like the last stand for our nation right now. And God comes to Moses and says, what's in your hand? Well, it's a stick. Well, just hold that up and I'm going to do something amazing. It's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. You know, you journey on in the story, and we won't get this far as we tell the story of Exodus, but, you know, they get to the promised land, and Joshua's there, and there's the walls of Jericho, and, th you know, they've got to work out how to get the walls of Jericho down. Otherwise, there's no chance of them taking the city. And I can imagine Joshua sitting around a boardroom table with all of his kind of hierarchy, the elders and the generals, and they're all kind of there. They're going to work out how they're going to move forward. And they're thinking about, well, we need to send some surveillance in. We need to think about the comings and goings. Where's the weak point in the wall? How can we infiltrate the guard as they change over from time to time? You know, you've all watched the movies. You know what they'd be thinking about. Let's get a plan together, Josh. And Josh says, I've been praying about it. God says, we're going we're gonna to walk around the city once a day for six days. But on the seventh day, we're going to walk around seven times. And then we're going to blow a trumpet, and then we're all going to shout, 
and then the walls are going to come down. Now, I've been in some board meetings over my lifetime in different forms. But that's got to be a pretty silly plan if you think about it rationally. Everybody around there is going to look at this guy. Remember, he's a new leader. Moses is dead. <laughs> yeah, good plan, Josh. And yet, he'd heard from God. And they did exactly that, and the walls came down. Gideon, you know, he puts an army together of 32,000 people. When God finally convinces him, he's a man of valor. So he puts 32,000 together, and God whittles him down to 300 and says, okay, that's enough. Now take on the nation. The Amalekites, take them all on with 300. Doesn't make sense. And yet God brought the victory. See, the heart of the intercessor, those that have walked with God, that have heard God's cry, will know the plans of God. They will hold on to them. They won't be deterred by what they see in the natural. They will have a heart tuned to the Spirit, and they'll see what God is doing. All through the Bible, love has always required human representation. It's time for us as a church to stop asking, what is God going to do about our nation? What is God going to do about our nation? Well, can I tell you something? He has done something about it. He sent his son, and you are now his body. And his body stands in this world today, and that is the influence for God. God is waiting on us. We are the church, the church of Jesus Christ. And that church will, will stand strong for him. The gates of hell will not prevail against that church so long as that church stands up in who it is. And by faith starts to pray and intercede and believe God and take off the glasses that says it's a natural fight and put on the glasses that said it's a spiritual fight. And then God will give us natural plans to work with. There was still a stick to hold up. There was still a wall to march around. There was still a fight that had to happen with 300. But God will give us the plans. So my message this morning is do not do nothing. My message this morning is do it from the heart of the intercessor. Do it from the heart that has heard the heart of God. Ezekiel 22 says this. And it was a, a time when Ezekiel was prophesying to Israel before they were taken into Babylon. It was the last throes of, of God's patience with Israel. And it says this. So I sought for a man, God is speaking, among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Therefore I have poured out my indignation on them, I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. In every revival, God is looking for those that would stand in the place of another. A young man by the name of Evan Roberts felt impressed by God that revival was coming to his native Wales. He told a friend, I have a vision of all Wales being lifted up to heaven. We're going to see the mightiest revival that Wales has ever known. And the Holy Spirit is going to come and we've got to get ready. He claimed God would give him 100,000 souls if he would organize a preaching band to travel across the nation in the coming revival. On October the 30th, 1904, Evan Roberts conducted his first prayer meeting after the regular church service. He told the 17 people that gathered of his vision and urged them to declare their faith in Christ publicly. The response was slow, but eventually all present gave their testimony, probably without a selfie stick, I say. Throughout the week, 
Roberts conducted prayer meetings each evening calling the youth to declare their sin, renew their obedience to God, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The meetings typically ran three to five hours. Within a week, the youth meetings had become to attract parents impressed with the changes that they saw in their teenagers, and the chapel was filled to capacity. Many were unable to get into the church for services. Many who had disbelieved, had disbelieved Christianity for years returned to the fold as of their younger days. Services were typically run all day from 9 in the morning until 10 at night. Prayer meetings from 9 till 12. Then 12 to 2 would be the weekly worship service. Then from 2 to 4 would be more prayer meetings. 5 to 8 would be the evening service. And finally, the evening would finish with a prayer meeting at 10. One night after Roberts' sermon, which lasted for two hours, bring back the two-hour preachers, I say. Give us more time. Yeah. And everybody said, oh my. The vast congregation remained praying and singing after his two-hour sermon till 2.30 in the morning. Churches were filled for two years across the nation, and Roberts had predicted 100,000 converts were added to the church. The use of alcohol in Wales dropped by 50%, resulting in the bankruptcy of many taverns. Crime was reduced to the point that judges in many jurisdictions were presented with white gloves, indicating there were no crimes of violence to be tried that day. In various communities, police became unemployed when they no longer were needed. In the coal mines, I love this, in the coal mines, the mules refused to respond to the converted miners who began treating the animals with respect and stopped using foul language. <laughs> I could just see their, uh, you know, like, what do you want me to do? Um, so funny. He, see, the thing is, when the Spirit of God moves in a nation, it's, it's not just what happens in the church. It's what flows out into the streets. The heart of people connect to the righteous God and their lives change, their families change, things happen. The actual father they've been looking for in their orphan spirit, they become united to again. As we're doing this last week in this Salvation Series, I reckon one of the greatest achievements of Moses' life was the fact that he was an intercessor for his nation. Moses effectively plays, prays three big prayers that saves his nation from the judgment of God and causes the Spirit of God to move again in covenant with these people. And I want to look at those three prayers just quickly and just draw some conclusions from them as we, as we land this morning. The context is this. Moses has been up on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. He's been away from them. While they've been away, they make the golden calf. The golden calf is an idol. They're worshipping. They believe they're worshipping Yahweh, but actually it's a golden calf. And so God, who is writing in stone with his finger, right at this, almost the same time, the Ten Commandments, the children of Israel at the bottom of the mountain are breaking them at the same time. And God says to Moses, I'm going to kill them. I've had enough. They are a stiff-necked people. And Moses Praise his first big prayer. Exodus 32, verse 11. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Here's the bit I want you to get. 
Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. And so Moses pleads with God, reminds him that he, of course, has brought his people out. This is not a good time to kill them, otherwise what would the rest of the world say? And so God says, okay, I won't kill them, but they're not going into the promised land. And Moses prays his second big prayer, Exodus 32, verse 30. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, so now I will go to the Lord and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, get this, blot me out of your book which you have written. Blot me out of your book. See, the intercessor walks in the shoes of those that are there. Moses is crying out to God and saying, if someone's got to die, if someone's got to be knocked, blotted out of the book, if someone's going to be laid aside so that the others can come into your promise, let it be me, not them. Take it out on me, God. Let me be the one that stands there. Don't let it be them. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? It's the heart of God, actually. God's heart says, I will, look, I will lay my life down for them. And Moses is hearing that heart, and so he steps into that place. And God says, okay, I won't kill them, but I won't go with them into the promised land. Moses prays his third big prayer. Moses says to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. And God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And here's the bit. Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I. Your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing that you've spoken. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. What I love about that last prayer is that Moses says, God, you've told me that I have found grace in your sight. But rather than stand over here with God and the people over there, he walks across the room and he stands with the people and he says, okay, if I've found grace, then I stand with them, go with us. And his voice is the voice of the prayer of the nation, even though the nation cannot pray it. Can you see? He is praying the prayer that the nation cannot pray because he is standing in their shoes and he is saying, God, don't leave them. And he, this is not an abstract thing. We can sit here and think about it. He is willing to put it all on the line to see God's mind change. And God does change his mind. And he restores his people fully 
in relationship with himself, he reaffirms his original covenant. I've noticed three things about intercession when I look at this story that I think is important for us as a church as we stand where we are today and we look forward into what God is calling us to do in the years ahead. Number one is that intercession will cost us something. Intercession will cost us something. Second Chronicles 7 and verse 14 says this, you'll know it well. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, that costs, and pray, that costs, and seek my face, well, that's different prayer. That's not just pray, it's pray and seek my face. And turn from their wicked ways, that feels like it costs, but it doesn't in the end. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Intercession costs something. The grace of God is free. It is a free gift. If this morning you haven't given your life to Jesus, you don't have an assurance in your heart that you're going to heaven, can I implore you this morning? This morning, make this your morning where you say, Jesus, I'm walking with you. It is an easy way. God makes it easy for you. He has done it all. It is a free gift from God that no one may boast. It is given to you. But church, I'm not talking to the new believer this morning. I'm saying for those of us who say, we know what this great story is about. And we want to see that story told. We want to see lives change. We want to see our nation go into revival. Then I'm telling you, it's going to cost us something. It cost Moses a bunch of things. Have a look at this on the screen. The man is 80 years old. God calls him up and down the mountain 10 times. You read it. It's almost funny the way that he does it. We're not going to go through all those scriptures this morning. But you read it. God calls him up the mountain and sends him down. And God calls him up the mountain. And once he calls him up the mountain, it's funny. He calls him up the mountain just to tell him to tell the people not to touch the mountain. And he says, God, I've already told him that. And he goes, away. (laughs) God, just, just go. We're talking about Mount Horeb, Sinai. It's about 2,000 meters high. The man is 80 years of age. He's had two 40-day fasts in the last 100 days. You do the maths. I, I don't know that I could. I'm 52 this year. I can't imagine doing the mountain up and down more than once. You don't think something changed in Moses by the time he did that mountain all that time interceding, interceding for his nation. No wonder he said, God, kill me. (laughs) I'm not doing that mountain one more time. Take me out now. I'm gone. Intercession costs something. God first deals with his church, his servants. He wants us lean, fit, and focused. He wants us hearing and leaning in with the ears of the Spirit. Second thing I've noticed about intercession is the heart of intercession doesn't come naturally It builds over time. It builds over time. If you look at the change in Moses' heart from when he first engaged with the people to where he's finally standing with them saying, God, unless you go with us, we won't go in together. When he first goes down there, he meets with Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, no, forget it. I'm not uh, letting the people go, not at all. In fact, I'm going to increase their workload, take the straw away. They're going to have to do the same amount of bricks. I don't care what it costs them, break their back. We're changing the workload because this bloke showed up and tried to get them. 
And so the people complain and say to Moses, thanks for coming, this is really helpful. And Moses prays this prayer back then in Exodus 5. Why have you brought trouble on this people and why have you sent me? Why have you brought trouble on this people and why have you sent me? That is not the heart of the intercessor. Then he says a little bit later as they're going through the wilderness and they're looking for water between Elam and Mount Sinai. Exodus 17, he says, What shall I do with this people for they are ready to stone me? God is not something he's interceding with right now. Moses comes into a heart where he sees the heart of God for this people. And because he sees the heart of God for the people, he's able to actually stand in the heart of God and pray back to God. And God's wrath, as it's poured out upon the people, sees his heart in Moses and says, I will, that's, that's a reminder of my heart. I will listen to that heart. Can you see? It's the heart of God in Moses that speaks back to God. It's the heart of God for our nation that speaks back to God. And thirdly, intercession brings the glory of God. When we have revival, we will see the glory of God like we've never seen before. Amen. Amen. And who knows that when the glory of God comes, things start to happen in ways that you cannot imagine. People, lives change, society has changed, and things that you think are impossible happen overnight. Because God is here. You say, that can't possibly happen. Well, you know, I tell you, God's going to do it. I believe he's going to do it. And he's getting us ready. As a church, he's getting us ready. As, as, a, as a local church family, he's getting us ready. As a nation, he's getting us ready for that glory to come. Look at it in Exodus 33 and verse 18. The glory of God is going to come and touch the earth. And Moses prays this prayer. Please show me your glory. And then God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But God said, but you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord says, here is a place by me you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I'll take my hand away and you'll see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Here's the thing about intercession. Here's the thing about the glory of God. When we pray, God's glory will come and will touch this earth. But when it touches the earth, if you look around, no man will be seen. And just how Moses was hid behind the rock and he was not seen, the glory of God walked on the earth. Though we pray that God would come and his glory will come, and when it does come, he will not share that glory with anybody. This is not about a church denomination. It's not about a church name. It's not about a group of people. It's about a people of God that are hungry for God, and God wants his intercessors to stand and rise and say, God, I don't care the label over the door. I don't care what my background is. I don't care how long I've been born again or how long I haven't been. I don't care how deep my theological knowledge is. It doesn't matter how long or what I can do or say for you, whether my past is great, whether my past is awful, it doesn't matter, but I will pray. Because God, if you come, this nation can change. This nation can change. The thing about the glory of God is that though we make our plans, we need his supernatural provision 
all the time. God said to this church, I want you to plant a campus in Redlands. And we prayed about it, we fasted about it, we met together, we talked about it before anybody else ever heard about it. We felt like this is the Lord. There were some people that prophesied and gave us some words and this feels like the Lord. So we began to talk about it. But we knew we had no money and we had no building. We jumped in a van and we drove around in a, in a van down around the Redlands area for days and days at different times, but looking for a place. There was nothing. There were industrial sheds, which would have just been so far away from anything kind of, you know, people just too far away from the, it just wouldn't have worked. There's just no place. And all the real estate there is expensive. You know, God, what will we do? There were school halls to go, but even some of those were already booked by other churches that were using it. It just felt like there was no room, but God kept saying, go and plant in the Redlands. And then someone comes to us at church on Sunday and says, I don't know whether you're interested, but we've got a building that we're actually looking for a purpose. It's an old roller skating rink down at the YMCA. Would you be interested? And so we go and have a look. And then we hear the story about the man, the family that owned the land, that sold that land so that mission could take place in that region. And he sold it through his trust so that that actual land would stay and be used for mission, reaching out to communities, helping families for the rest of its time. And of course, there's been a couple of owners, but the YMCA are there right now. And as we go back to plan and as we put that church in there, we're standing on the very ground where that family came and prayed and dedicated that land to God that it would be used for the gospel huh tens and tens and tens of years ago it's being used for the gospel now and so we start with the many and there's 250 people meeting there now crying out that God would reach that area I tell you that church it won't be big enough it's just the beginning but it's in the perfect location it's just where people will come it's a great place to incubate a church from God knows what he's doing and then God says go and plan in Logan and we say God we <laughs> And then someone prophesies, a couple of you, someone in here, a couple of you, prophesied we're going to have twins that year. Thanks very much. I said, yes, God. Well, we have no money, we have no building, we have no place. But we pray. We start to talk about it. What's God going to do? How's it going to happen? And then someone, one of the church down there comes to us and says, look, this is enough now. We're tired. It's time for us to hand this over. Would you be interested in taking this building on in this place. It's in the perfect position. It's where we'd want to be planning a church. Where all those decades ago, the church family at Logan said, this would be a good place for a church. It is a good place for a church. And now every Sunday, we've got 230 people meeting there every Sunday, crying out to God, praying during the week as that church family grows. And then God says, plan in the city. And we go, God, you have to be kidding. The prices, the land, Buildings, where in the city, everything's exorbitant. They can't fit parking anywhere. But we believe God's in it. In the last two weeks, our, another church has come to us and said, we have this building that someone's given to us. It's got an auditorium of 200, seats 200. It'll have a kid's area. You can have 100 kids out the back if you want to. It's right across the road in Elizabeth Street from the car park there in the Meyer Centre. Uh, when we've got a deal where you can park in there for a really low rate on a Sunday if you need to. Would you be interested in taking this on for a minimal rent? We said, interested. We've been praying for a miracle for ages. And so God gives us this building. We haven't got a pastor yet. That's yet to happen. But we've got a building. What I'm trying to say to you this morning is, 
This will be a journey of our heart, folks. God is calling us to pray for our nation to get ready, to get ready, to get ready, to put churches to come alongside other churches that need to be encouraged, to work with leaders that need to be encouraged, not just for Gateway to grow, but for every church to grow. Any church that wants to lean into what God is doing, start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ without compromise or apology and say, we are a church that wants to serve the living God, whoever those people are. That's who we want to partner with. Yeah. Amen. Unless God builds the house, the laborers will labor in vain. We know that. But God is wanting to build his house. He wants people back in his house. My prayer is that we continue to put our hand and our faith and our trust with him. Could we pray this morning? Father God, You're a wonderful God. Father, you see the end from the beginning. Father, though there are obstacles we need to face, our faith can rest in you knowing that you know the way forward. Father, you partner with us. We are your body on this earth. God, it's your plan that we would put our hand in yours. We would listen to you. Father, we would start to pray like we've never prayed before. We'd start to plan like we've never planned before. And God, in the hope that you would come and fill us with your spirit again and move again one last time through this nation with your glory and power. Father, that we would see people turn to you. That our nation, like it did 60 years ago, Father, would bow its knee to Jesus Christ. And people's lives would be healed and restored. Father, would you help us be an obedient people? God, we offer our plans to you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or would like us to pray for you, please go to gatewaybaptist.com.au and let us know.